0: The following sermon is from Dr. Dan Kitnoya, pastor of Calvary Baptist Church in Tilton, Illinois. If you've never reached out to Calvary before, we'd like to hear from you. Visit our website, Calvarytilton.com. That's Calvarytilton.com. And now here's Dr. Dan. If you have your copy of the scriptures, join me if you would in Philippians chapter one. Philippians chapter. One A few weeks back I was watching a soccer game between two very good teams. I've watched a lot of soccer over the last few months and it was two very competitive teams, two very good teams. They were really kind of going neck and neck and there was a moment in the game, there was still uh, plenty of time left, where a second goal was scored and something really shifted dramatically in the game. What I noticed was that one player, or maybe more than one, started to turn to the, turn on his teammates and say, We're losing. What are you doing? You're messing up. And at that moment, I said, The game is over. Because they were turning on each other. You see, soccer is a team game, so is football. In fact, I observed this. From 7th, 8th, and ninth grade, I had a team that was, we were undefeated three years in a row. In fact, one season, no one even scored on us by 10th grade something happened the wheels fell off the juggernaut and we didn't like each other all that much people started to quit the team guys didn't care anymore and uh, people part of the thing was people were tearing each other down in a work environment when you have people who are just doing their job but really don't like each other it's not as productive And the same is true as church what happens is this when we're no longer playing as a team We become very ineffective. The church of Philippi uh, was facing persecution from the outside world. So if you're a team, the opponents are very strong. On paper, they're bigger, stronger, faster, and more numerous. And oh yeah, they've got the government on their side. And so the opposition is coming intensely, and inside the church there was starting to be some division going on. And so Paul writes them this letter, and in chapter 1, he basically verse 27 to 30, he does a few things. He tells them to, to, to live in a manner worthy of the gospel, to stand firm, to stand together, and to advance the gospel. And we're going to see that in our passage, Philippians chapter 1, verse 27 to 30. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, Engage in the same conflict that you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we do thank you for the word of God. We thank you for the gospel of Christ, and we thank you for our salvation. I pray for those today who are with us, who are guests. Pray that they would feel welcome in our fellowship. And we also pray that there is any here who are uncertain about whether or not they know Jesus in a saving way that today they'd come to a saving knowledge of Jesus. It's in His name we pray. Amen. Well, on Monday and Tuesday morning, I knew I was going to preach a different passage. Then I had an opportunity to have a conversation with, uh, with, with Steve Benson, Jake, and, and Jack, and as I listened to these guys talking kind of about these verses, I said, no, I think that the Lord is teaching me through those guys that I need to change course. So if you don't like the sermon, it's their fault. Actually, they get all the credit for God used them to redirect my path. So if you don't like what I say today, well, it's my fault. But I don't remember who said what, So the, but all goes kind of together. Somebody pointed out that we need to be willing to say what the gospel is if we're going to engage in evangelism. And then somebody said, yeah, and we all uh, need to kind of do our own part as a team to, to advance the gospel. And another person pointed out that, yeah, that's why we all have spiritual gifts that are different, and for that matter, we all bring our different personalities and temperaments, experiences, and all of those things. And so they, as they were talking, I said, I think you're describing evangelism as a team sport. And that's 100% right. God has put this church together on purpose for a purpose with all of the unique characters that come to Calvary Baptist Church with their spiritual gifts because we are a team engaging in a team sport. In basketball, a coach will examine his players and say, okay, this guy's tall, this guy's fast, this guy can dribble and shoot and pass, so we're going to put him at the guard, and this guy's going to be a center. And we, the reason they do that is because each player, while they're all important, all have different skill sets. It's rare to find a guy who's six foot ten who plays point guard, although there is at least one that I'm aware of in the NBA, and then Magic Johnson kind of could do all that, but that's a... Well, that's kind of a freak in nature. Most of us are kind of, well, I'm a one-trick pony, right? So we kind of all need each other in the the thing called church. And so he says, so we are a team. We are engaged in this together to advance the gospel. What is the gospel? Paul writes this in 1 Corinthians 15. You can check it later. He writes to remind them of the gospel that he preached to them, in which they believed, in which they're being saved. And he writes this in 1 Corinthians 15. Verse 3, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that He was buried, that He was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. And so we see this basic gospel message that Jesus Christ died for our sins. We're all sinners and all fall short of the glory of God. And this is our beautiful message. And so Paul says, hey, because you have believed in this message, he tells the Philippians, live in a manner worthy of the gospel. In military terms, conduct yourself in a manner befitting the uniform. And so Paul says that. First thing we see in verse 27, we are to live lives that are consistent with the gospel. How we live our lives impacts our testimony and our witness for Jesus Christ. And the fact of the matter is, in Philippi, the fact that they were living as followers of Christ, not going along with the crowd, was the very thing that was bringing the opposition from the outside. The pressure was intense. They would not worship Caesar as God. Period. Thus they were unpatriotic. And the world was turning against them. The Christians, we must live like we really believe the gospel. What would that look like in the life of of a Christian? Well, I think being holy would certainly uh, be a part of that. Avoiding sin, avoiding uh, the jokes and the parties that everyone else does. Or for that matter, can I tell you one of the things that's really getting harder and harder to do is to state obvious truths when you know people are living in denial about it. We're kind of going crazy about the truth. Then we have to figure out how to speak the truth in a loving manner. That's a whole another ball of wax. But as Christians, being holy also involves speaking the truth, even if folks doesn't, don't always want to hear it. I think it would involve being humble. Because as Christians, we of all people recognize that we're not perfect. We've all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That's kind of like, you know, like foundational for what we understand about our salvation. So because of that, because we know that we really are really sinful, we bring this humility to the relationship with God. And because He died on the cross to pay for my sins, sacrificing Himself for your sins, and rose again, we are grateful to know that our sins are forgiven. Humble, holy, grateful, hospitable. Welcoming others, get this, as the book of Romans says, as Christ welcomed us. That's When we start living like that, we become very powerful witnesses for the gospel. It doesn't necessarily mean they will like all that we say and do as Christians, but there will be something beautiful and, and attractive about it. I came across something very interesting this week where there are actually atheists who are saying they wish that more people were going to church. Why? Because they recognize that our culture's behavior are spiraling out of control. And they recognize that biblical morality is right. They don't believe everything else that we say, but they say, look, if we're going to believe something, it might as well be that that's the way we ought to treat other people. Love your neighbor as yourself. It makes for a powerful witness. And even if the world doesn't like you because of it, At the bottom line is that Jesus Christ will get glory because of it. So we should live lives that are consistent with the gospel. When we live like we believe the gospel, it improves our witness. And in verse 27, uh, he, he gives us some specific instructions that he gave to the Philippians about how we should do this. Let's take a look at verse 27. The first thing I want to point out is we are to stand firm in the gospel. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or I'm absent, he's in prison by the way, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit. We are to stand firm. Because the Philippians were being persecuted for their faith, Paul tells them to stand firm. Hold your ground. They were not participating in the imperial cult because Jesus alone is Lord, not Caesar. Keep doing that. Keep on keeping on. Stand firm in this. Harassment, insult and rejection may make us want to back off, but it is when we face opposition for the gospel that we must stand firm. The imagery there is probably something comparable to to what you read about when you read the full armor of God in Ephesians, the, the, the having your feet shod with the gospel of peace and the idea is simply this, a soldier, when they would go to battle, because you could get pushed around on the muddy battlefield, they wanted to have spikes in their shoes so they could stand firm, kind of like a, a football player would wear. And so an offensive lineman that goes head-to-head against a defensive lineman, they, they, they know they can, might get out-muscled and out-technique, but the last thing they want is their feet to slide out from under them because they're going to hit the deck and the quarterback's going to get crushed. And so the similar idea, of we, we ought to be standing firm. And so uh, think of football cleats. When the opposition comes, whether it's at school, work, or online, stand firm. 25, Twenty to twenty-five years ago when I was in college, I, I experienced the opposition that we faced early on. I knew that the intellectual things that were being taught were going to be disintegrating and eating at the church and our faith and many people's faith would die by a thousand cuts. I saw it 25 years ago, and it's only gotten worse. Opposition comes at school when you have professors who are belligerent against the faith. They are. They are. And there's more of it now than there was. I had a conversation with some college students the other day, and they kind of chuckled about it because they saw that it was stupid and crazy, but they joked about what's your preferred pronouns because they had to deal with that stuff. The world has changed very dramatically, and there's all kinds of pressure and opposition against the church to sit down, shut up, believe in your Jesus at home, and keep it there. But for long, that won't be good enough either. Opposition comes from professors, from administrators, it comes at work when coworkers harass you because you don't go along with the crowd, or as the Apostle Paul wrote. The same flood of dissipation. You don't laugh at the dirty jokes. You don't live like you don't believe in Jesus. And people see it. And they harass you for it. Stand firm. Dig your heels in. I will not be moved. As Christians, we need to choose to stand firm. So the third thing we see there is we are to stand firm in unity. He says, I want to hear that you're standing firm... In one spirit with one mind. That's a a Bible way of saying you're unified. Being of one mind and spirit is about being united in the gospel of Jesus Christ. God has brought this church to be one body in Christ. Ephesians chapter 4, if you can turn there quickly, uh, the Apostle Paul kind of describes what I'm talking about when I say that the church is engaging in a team sport evangelism is a team sport and edification that's building up the body of christ that too is a team sport i'm going to read verse Ephesians 4 verse 4 and then i'm going to jump down to verse 11 there is one body that's the church and one spirit that's the holy spirit just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call I'll read verse 5. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, and one God and Father of all. Verse 11. And He gave the apostles, now He's talking about spiritual gifts, He gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers, why? To equip the saints for the work of the ministry because it's a team sport, for building up the body of Christ until we attain to the unity of faith. Similar concept here and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood. Why? To the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine. Church, can I tell you there's all kinds of winds of crazy doctrine swirling around the church and unfortunately some of it has made its way into the church. Church. And as Christians, we need to be building each other up in the faith, and it is a team sport, as is evangelism. And God makes some of us teachers and preachers, God makes some of us... Listen, we've got people in this church that do things that, well, you don't always notice they're doing, but if they stop doing it, I assure you, they would, you would notice. There's a lot of things like that to take place in the church, and all of it's important. The Bible and the King James has one it's called the gift of helps. To me, that covers a lot of ground. That's the person that does a lot of things that go unnoticed, but they're so vital to the church. See, God's designed it this way because church is to be a team sport. So we must stand firm as individuals and we must stand firm together. He goes on in verse 27, we are to stand firm together to advance the Gospel. Let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel, so that I may hear so that whether I come and see you or am absent I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one, in one spirit, with one mind, striving together side by side for the faith of the gospel. That striving by, side by side for the faith of the gospel is an athletic metaphor. The Greek word literally is soon athleto. Recognize that? It's the idea of teammates standing side by side, just like those offensive linemen. Side by side, as a team, pushing down the field to, get, to make yardage. Or a, a, a basketball team doing the right passes and all the switch-offs that you've got to do to get baskets. And, and it's the idea of a team working together to advance the Gospel of Jesus Christ. We are to strive together to advance the Lord Jesus' message. And evangelism is a team sport. So we've got two things coming up on Calvary's horizon. On uh, October 31st, we have the switch. It is a team sport. We have opportunities to give candy. On the day of, there will be opportunities to serve by uh, scooping out candy, scooping out popcorn, manning a booth, or just walking around and making sure our guests feel welcome. It's an outreach to our community. The following Sunday, we have the... Who's your one chili cook-off? Or did I call it the invite your one chili cook-off? But this, the, the idea is still the same. And so we're going to have this. We're going to have a church service. We're going to have it followed up by a chili dinner. Lord willing, weather permitting, across the street at the farm, we'll have mini-golf, maybe a football game, not tackle, because I break easy now. Um, we're going to play some sports. There's a building to go inside if, you get, if it gets a little cold. And we're going to have a competition with chili. just be fun, so... They've kind of done some research, and what they found is that when people invite a friend and then sit with them, they're actually really likely to want to come to church, and then if you say, hey, I'll, we'll have a meal afterwards, winning, right? So everybody contributes in some way. You invite a guest, you pray about it, you, you welcome other people in the congregation. By the way, can I brag about you guys? I, as a pastor, one of my biggest fears that I don't, it's kind of like the, it's like the—it's like the boogeyman for me is that a guest will show up and no one will talk to him. Scares me. But you guys have been, I'm going to talk like a young guy. You guys have been killing it. Like the other week, a guest was here and I was trying to talk to him. I was like, I couldn't get to him. Praise God. That's the church, doing church as a team, by the way. So on that chilly I just want to say, keep doing what you're doing. No changes. We don't need to adjust the playbook. Just keep doing that. But invite a guest. Make a pot of chili and have some fun with your friends. That's what we're doing. That's uh, some simple ways that we're doing evangelism as a team sport. The switch and invite your one chili cook-off. We're to stand firm together to advance the gospel. And we're to stand firm together to advance the gospel. Check this, verse 28. With holy boldness, not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation. That is a verse that will not make us popular. Even Christians will be uncomfortable with what that verse literally just said. Verse 28. You're, there's two reasons why it's going to be upsetting to some. My job is not to make you like it, I'm just to tell you what it says. Literally, he's saying, the saving faith that you have was granted to you. Because you weren't spiritually unconscious. You are dead in your trespasses and sin. One, it's been granted to you to be on God's team. Second, those who are opposing you, it's a sign of their destruction. Because you're standing with Jesus and they are trying to destroy you. I saw an amazing quote from Vody Bacham a couple days ago. He said, My, the old timers is how he said it. So if you don't like that word, sorry. It's how, blame him. He's tough, by the way. So good luck. The old timers used to say, it's no point fighting God because your arms aren't long enough. The world knows this, so they're going to fight You because you represent Christ. And that has been granted to you. It is a sign of your salvation from God and of their destruction. See, the world's not opposing you when you're not on the team. Yesterday, Kenny and his teammates had the championship soccer game, which they, they won And the coach told him on Friday, you're starting the whole game at goalie. Pretty big honor. He was honored. He was pretty stoked. Being on the field, however, did result in him getting kicked in the face when he dove on a ball. Got a mark. I don't know if it's still there. was there last night at dinner. Got a mark on his face. But the truth is, had he not been on the field with the honor of playing with the Thunder, well, Yeah, it wouldn't get kicked in the face, but there's no glory in that. Sometimes when we see other Christians get persecuted, harassed for their faith, we look at it and go, I don't need any more problems in my My life. I'm going to keep my mouth shut about Jesus. But the truth is, when we're not on the field, there's not a lot of risks. And as Christians, we need to be bold. Boldness involves... Get this, a willingness to take risks. That's what the definition said on, on the internet. We know the internet doesn't lie, but that was the definition of boldness. Courage, confidence, a willingness to take risks. Being a Christian is sometimes a team sport. Well, it's always a team sport. Sometimes it's a contact sport. When you get harassed and picked on, uh, Listen, if they did it to your Lord, you can expect that they're going to do it to you because their arms are not strong enough to reach Him. Have you been harassed of late for your faith? Be of good cheer. It's because you're standing firm and people see it. You might have got a little, metaphorically speaking, kick in the face but it's because you are on the field of battle with Jesus. They can't reach Him, so they came for you. The Philippians were facing opposition from the outside. And when opposition comes, we must continue to advance with a holy boldness. Not a self-righteous boldness, but a holy boldness. When we can no longer advance... We must stand firm together in the gospel. They say football is a game of inches and you fight and struggle for inches. And Calvary, because of our history, we saw like it was like every week God scoring touchdowns. Normally, in the history of the church, it's a game of inches. We fight and scratch for an inch, we hold our ground, and all of a sudden the cavalry shows up. And there's Bill Fridgett running down the football. He played on our team. Number one, where did he come from? Out of nowhere, 6'3", 215 pound, sophomore running a four three forty, and he's gone. There's no catching him. Doing this. Got a flag for that one. We are holding our ground, and then all of a sudden Jesus shows up and he's off to the races. That is what it looks like. Listen, when something amazing happens in churches and churches, that's Jesus scoring touchdowns. When the people of God are singing praises with new vigor, it's like the icky shuffle, if you guys remember that. We're, we're just dancing in the end zone. It's like, look what God's doing. But there's a lot of blood spilled before the touchdowns are scored. Cuts, bruises, scratches, ice packs that night. The opponents are strong, but we can't be afraid of them. They're loud. They're brash. They're rude. We can't respond in kind. We must be holy in our boldness. But fear of difficult questions, ridicule for our faith, or being called a hypocrite, are oftentimes like kryptonite for a Christian. You know, kryptonite. The stuff that turns Superman into like a a wimp. Fear weakens our witness but we are called to a holy boldness. Verse 29 and 30, boldly standing firm together to advance the gospel is our God-given honor. Verse 29 and 30, for it has been granted to you for the sake of Christ that you should not only believe in Him, but also suffer for His sake. Engage in the same conflict that you saw I had and now hear that I have. When Paul showed up in Philippi, if you remember the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 16, uh, they beat him up pretty bad and drug him into prison. Something miraculous happened. While he's in prison, God does a miracle. Earthquake happens. Prison doors fall open. the, The prison guard comes running in because he thinks all the prisoners have escaped, but there's Paul in holy boldness saying, don't kill yourself. We're still here. Because... Might as well kill yourself now because if you don't, if you're, the, if you're the jailer, if those guys got away, they're gonna, the government's going to kill you. So Paul says, don't kill yourself. We're here. He gets saved. He says, what must I do to be saved? And he says, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. And he does. He takes Paul home, cleans his wounds, and gets baptized. In that order. Belief in Jesus Christ. Listen, it wasn't despite... The hardships. It was the hardships themselves that God used to advance the Gospel. And when you've been on the field of battle for Christ and you took a kick to the gut or somebody gives you a hard time or you're you're pulling your hair out, not sure how to respond to your management because all of a sudden, stuff that didn't matter five years ago all of a sudden does, and it's not right and you know it you know that that's a problem because you're standing on the field of battle with Christ. But God, get this, He advances His kingdom through hardship, not in spite of it. Not sure if that's true. Have you ever surveyed the wondrous cross upon which our Savior died? Hardship and suffering (laughs) were the very tools that God used. So boldly standing firm together to advance the Gospel is our God-given honor. And with that comes costs. Someone once said, I think it was Henry Blackaby, that there can be no significant spiritual progress without spiritual hardship. Something must be invested. Something must, some energy must be spent Things are lost in the process of following Christ. I lost friends. And it become awful to them. I just couldn't go along anymore. Was it easy? No. Would I go back and change it? Not on your life. See, when the world is opposing Christ, it can't oppose Him because its arms aren't long enough. It'd be like, being five foot seven and trying to box against an equally trained guy who's six foot seven and has a giant wingspan—good luck. The church, however, is within striking distance. So what do we do? Stand firm. I have a question for you. I'm not big on being a preacher that beats people up from the pulpit—not my thing. But I will ask you to a challenging question: Are you standing firm with the gospel of Jesus Christ? If people saw you, would they know that you are trying your best within this crazy situation to honor God? Are you standing firm? Are you united with your church? Are you united with your church family? Uh, I grew up in a pretty good, pretty much Bible teaching church. But I was never united with them for a long time. I showed up said and sat with them. But my heart was never really bound up with them. And because the reason, I think, is that I was not really trying to advance the gospel with them. Are you united with your church? And finally, evangelism is a team sport. We've got things coming up. We've got the invite your one chili cook-off. We've got the, uh, the switch. And there's even some other opportunities that are cooking in the back of my head. That If somebody says, you know, I can do an hour a week, I got something for you. It doesn't even require skill. It just requires willingness. Come and talk to me about it. Well, that's my challenge for you to us as Christians. Stand firm in the gospel, live in a manner worthy of the gospel, and be united with the church as we advance the gospel together. Finally, as Chad comes for our song of response, the verse that we the past we read began with the statement uh, live in a manner consistent with the gospel, and live in a manner worthy of the gospel. And mostly what we saw this morning was a challenge and encouragement to Christians. But what is the gospel? It's the fact that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, came to earth, lived among us, lived a sinless life, died on a cross in our place to for, to pay for our sins. And the good news is that all of us have sinned, but whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Whoever turns from sin, turns to Jesus in faith, will be saved. This morning, if you'd like to be saved, you'd like to call on Jesus, make your way on the front. I'd like to help you call on Jesus for salvation. You've been listening to Dr. Dan Kitnoya, pastor of Calvary Baptist Church in Tilton, Illinois. If you'd like to learn more, visit our website, calvarytilton.com. That's calvarytilton.com. Thank you for listening.